Jesus, may our praise be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear, and may your word be a sweet, sweet sound to our ears and to our heart, that it may cut to the heart, that it may draw us closer to you, that we may profess you, maybe for the first time that you are our Savior, hearing your call upon our lives and upon our hearts, or for those of us that know you, that we would know you ever more deeply. And so, Lord, as we prepare to continue our worship, to hear your word proclaimed, open us up, Lord, to receive it. Send your Holy Spirit, continue to move in this place to draw us nearer to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a seat, everybody, and good morning once again. How's everyone's week been? Good. I mean, just do a little, if you want to do this in front of you, a little thumbs up, thumbs down, a little sideways. How's your week been? Everyone, everyone good? Everyone had a good week? It's good. Wonderful. No, I just wanted to check in. It's uh, this morning, you know, as we're going through announcements and things like that, uh, definitely, it definitely felt that we were still coming in from the rain a little bit and our energy was, was, was more muted and that's fine. People have busy weeks. You have things that are going. People have strong, uh, troublesome weeks that have happened as well. And so I'm so thankful that you, um, that you have set it as a priority to, to be here today, to love, honor, and worship the Lord, to come in as, as we once said, to the huddle, to the halftime, to, to kind of bring it in together so that we can receive instruction from the Lord and then be sent back out again uh, as empowered witnesses, just as what we are seeing here in the book of Acts. We are in a study called the book of Acts uh, that's going to take us, you know, some time as we just kind of walk through it and just uh, begin to see some of the things that the early church endured, uh, the things that they valued, systems that they put into place, uh, things of that nature, and then try to glean from that instruction for ourselves. Also, nothing's new under the sun. Our time period has changed. The things that we deal with are kind of different, but really at the core, they're all kind of the same. And of course, the Word of God is eternal and authoritative on our lives, and so we can go to it and receive instruction. And so that's what I'm hoping that we get to do. And that at the end of the book of Acts, we just have this great perspective and a great kind of charge for us uh, to, uh, as a church, as we march on into this, this new age of being Bethel Presbyterian. And so Thank you for joining me with this, and there's been Acts Bibles. If you have a study Bible, uh, I'd love for you to use that today and continue to use that. If you didn't get a chance to get one of those, and they're, they're like this little, little Acts, it's the whole book of Acts, and every other page is a blank page to keep notes on it, you can actually go to christianbook.com and search for Acts Study Journal, and you'll see it, and just get it yourself. They're like five bucks, they're not that bad, and so we would love for you to take a part of that as well, too. So my question for you today, how many of you have ever bought a car? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. So I bought, I bought several cars. Uh, I'm not really good with money when I was younger. I married Carrie, and she, um, she set me straight, which is really, really good. <laughs> she's, she's, she's really good at that kind of stuff. We had a couple of marital moments in, early in our wedding, early in our marriage about bills. And so I finally said, well, why don't you, you just take care of the bills and, I'll, you know, that'll be fine. And lo and behold, she does a fantastic job. And I'm like, well, you can continue to keep doing that. But before I got married, I was a heathen and I was not really good with, um, with all the financial stuff. Uh, my father-in-law used to pick fun at me and not pick fun. He just kind of laid it out that, you know, though there's squirrels and there's, and there's birds. And squirrels like to squirrel their money away, and they, they, they take their time, and they save that. And birds are just like, let's just spend it, you know, and it's fine. He goes, which one are you? And I said, I'm an eagle, sir. That's who I am. <laughs> so, but anyways, so I, out of college, I had just lost a whole bunch of weight. 
And so, and, I, and, and for those, uh, just the journey of up and down on weight. But I lost a whole bunch of weight and was feeling good about myself and graduated college, had a job as a teacher, single. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to buy myself a car. That's what I need. I need to buy a brand new vehicle. And a lot of it is because when I was 16, my first car was a Dodge Diplomat, a 1985 Dodge. That's what I drove in the late 90s, a grandma boat kind of car. It was actually my grandmother's. I had gotten it from her. Now, it had a V8, so it was really fast. But anyways, I digress. And uh, the ceiling hung low. It was one of those carpet ceilings that eventually gave way and, and just gave up the ghost. And so you're in there, and it's like that kind of thing, you know? And I had a radio on the side of the seat because the radio didn't work. You know, it was all the things. And then after that, I've been, I was very blessed because my, my family, my, my parents continued to, to help me out with cars. They just didn't look awesome. And so finally, here I am, going to buy a car. So I go and I buy a Honda Accord. And the Honda Accord was a brand new Honda Accord, two-door two coupe. It looked wonderful. It drove fast. It was like 7.9% interest rate for seven years. And I thought... Yes, sign me up for that. And realize how horrible that was, the payments for that. And so eventually, I got further on down with the car. I traded it in to try to get a quote-unquote better deal. And I think I got a better deal, but it was still like a six-year loan. And then finally traded that in for the Kia that I have now for a quote-unquote better loan. Now, luckily, I married Carrie. We did great with our finances. We were able to pay that car completely off. But I tell all this to you because of the process of buying a car. You go in there, and you work with a salesman, and they tell you all the fun things about this car. They get you in it. They test drive it. They, you feel how smooth it is and all the bells and whistles. And you get out of that car, and you think, okay, let's make the deal. And you work with the salesman back and forth on the whole deal thing. And then inevitably what happens, at least with me, the salesman gets up and says, I need to go talk to my who? The manager. I don't know who the manager is. You know, <laughs> it's the manager. And he goes and he talks to the manager to help close the sale. And so the manager comes out as the closer. And, and this, is some, this is the best deal I can give you. And I'm thinking, okay. And so you enter into that whole situation. But the salesman needs a closer. Now, let's make this biblical. Salvation is not like buying a car. It is not a deal in which is to be made. It is not any of those things. But there is still a closer. There is still someone that comes alongside of what we have been talking about doing witnessing to others, sharing the gospel of Jesus with others, pouring our lives out for others for Christ. All of that effort, there still has to come alongside the closing manager, which is the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside and grips the heart of the people in whom we are talking to and gets them to open up their eyes to realize that once they were a sinner and now this is Jesus and I want Jesus and I proclaim him and now you are saved. We are called to go and make and externally call, pour out the truth of the gospel. And it is an external call. 
all through scriptures, it talks about our witness of giving something off. We're called lights, we're called salt, we're called mouthpiece. It's all about giving out the truth, spreading out as much as we can. It's not on us at all to do any of that internal work that has to happen on a person's heart. That's the closer. The Holy Spirit comes in who has been working on this heart far before you even got there and eventually grips that heart, cuts to the heart for that person to make a profession of faith. Here we are in the book of Acts chapter 2 at Peter's famous first ever sermon, message. And last week I said it was so awesome to see Peter have a chance to give a message because he was the, uh, the disciple in the Gospels who said, you are the Christ, and then immediately told Jesus what he should do with that information, and Jesus called him Satan and told him to get behind him. And you feel real bad for Peter because he has this great mountaintop experience and then real quickly kind of topples down to the bottom. And now, having received the Holy Spirit, he, he stands up boldly and, and, and preaches to his kinsmen, to a multitude of Jewish folks, gets to preach what he said way back when that this Jesus is the Christ. He is externally calling. He is externally preaching. He is sharing that good news to a hyper-focused audience to say to his Jewish brothers and sisters, the Messiah was here, I promise, and you, we, we killed him. And now he has to present an opportunity for them that all hope is not lost, that there is still a chance, my brothers and sisters, for you to be counted in amongst us as witnesses to the great glory of Jesus the Christ, the one in whom God proved and attested as the Messiah. Will you join us? And we conclude our sermon today with Peter, where we now get this at the end of this message, a master class in evangelism and repentance. What I want you to see at the end of this our message here today, as we conclude Peter's sermon, I want you to see that not only does Peter give us a model for how to witness to people as we look at the entire message that he gave, then at the end, he gives this great master class that is so rich in theology and Old Testament theology and New Testament theology of what it means to truly repent now having been presented this information. And for us today, that you would all remember this, that the whole point is to receive, repent, and receive the Holy Spirit, to then share the good news of the gospel without shame, and to invite others to do the same. Now, I'll let the cat out of the bag. This is exactly what Peter does in his message. He receives the Holy Spirit he gets out there and preaches the gospel without shame, without hindrance, and then offers them an invitation to repent and receive and to do the same. Y'all ready to jump in on that? That's exciting. Put your hands together. Let's dive in. Let's go. Okay. So, 
here we are with Peter at the very, very beginning. Let's recap some things. Let's recap his, his whole message here. If you were to go to Acts chapter 2, the message really, his sermon really begins at Acts uh, 2 verse 14. That's page 1082 in the pew Bibles behind you. Or if you have the little um, journals, it's within those first couple of pages. So let's turn there. Let's, re- let's take a review. Let's take stock of where we are at. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and following. The Holy Spirit has already descended on the disciples, right? They were the 12 disciples. They were in the room. They were being obedient, if you remember. They were praying, and the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon them. They leave the room, and they are shouting and praising all the mighty works of God, and the crowds of Jewish predominantly Jewish people. Don't forget that. Everyone mental note that, that this audience is predominantly Jewish, and so this message is hyper-focused for them, even though it has implications for the entire world. They go out, and they're sharing the mighty works. They're sharing all these things, and the crowds of people, they come, and they, they, they begin to divide into two camps. One camp is they, they, they are amazed, and they are bewildered, and they want to know more information. And the other camp is not so much amazed. They are bewildered, and they begin to persecute and slander these people. And they say, well, they obviously must be drunk. And then that comes, that's, that's Peter's cue, being made fun of and called drunk in the midday for him to step up and say this message, to boldly proclaim this message for them. Let's look. Chapter, four, chapter 2, verse 14. I'm going to kind of move along quickly. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Stop what you're doing and listen to what I am saying. This is a y'all gather round. That's exactly what this is. Peter's saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters, y'all come. I'm tired of hearing the slander. I'm tired of hearing the excuses. Come around and listen to what I have to say. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And as we talked about, he reads through the prophet Joel, and he tells them that the Holy Spirit, just as it was prophesied in your history, has been poured out. And what you are witnessing is a great unification of God's people who are prophesying all of these mighty works. And it's not just for priests and all muckety-mucks. It's for male servants, female servants, sons and daughters. It's being poured out on them for them to just share this great news about who Jesus is. And the promise here at the end of this introduction, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Gather round. This is happening. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. You're not imagining this. The time is now and you need to listen. And by the way, before I even get into the body of my message, if you call on the name of Jesus Christ, if you bow a knee to Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, you will be saved. You will be in and amongst us. So he, he, like I did, he lets the cat out of the bag right at the beginning. We can bypass this all if you just do this. But then he continues, doesn't he? Then he shares the gospel without shame. What do I mean without shame? Peter 
is a standing in front of his whole Jewish brethren and sistren, of all of these people who have skeptical looks and skeptical eyes, people who think that Jesus was just some great prophet or Jesus was just some lunatic that got arrested because he was starting stuff where he shouldn't have been starting stuff. And so he boldly stands in front of them and doubles down and shares the true gospel and not only shares it, but also colors it with a bit of conviction for them. Because remember, this is a predominantly Jewish audience. He's hyper-focused. He's got a hyper-focused message. And so he says to his Jewish brother, brethren and sisterin, he presents Jesus as this Messiah, this Messiah who done many signs and wonders, God who did many signs and wonders through him, God who, who allowed the crucifixion to happen because of your sins, then he loosened the pangs of death and he raised him up. This Jesus right here has been proven and attested by the Yahweh God. And so you ought to make sure that you hear and see and receive this. He is not David. He is not the, some prophet from the Old Testament. He is not some prophet who just went on and died and now is buried in the ground. No, he is God's sent one, and the Lord God made him both Lord and Christ. Verse 36 of Acts 2, made him both Lord and Christ for the whole world. Presents the gospel to them. He says to them who Jesus is and who he is not. He is Hellman's, not Miracle Whip. Bob, where you at? There you are. <laughs> Bob Calkins back there gives me a hard time about my mayonnaise illustration. I'm sorry, Bob. Miracle Whip is not mayonnaise. Let's continue. Um, <laughs> sorry, Bob. You're not on a microphone. They can't hear you. Anyway, so... He presents, he presents the gospel. But then, as we said last week, he brings in David, which I love, because what he does, what Peter is doing, is he's bringing in their history, their story, the story, the history that they're trying to make sense of all of this, he brings it in and then brings the gospel alongside it so that the gospel makes sense of their history and not their history making sense of the gospel. That's, that's what we do in our sinful humanity. That's, that's still happening. We are still in our sinfulness trying to make our lives, our story, our context make sense of the gospel. And it doesn't work that way. Anytime that we do that, we add things to the gospel or we take things away so it makes sense. And that's not, no, 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 no. We will lose every time. We will get confused every time. We will end up on our own strength, which amounts to nothing every time. So Peter, gather around. This is happening. Holy Spirit's been poured out. Listen. You just need to bow a knee and call upon his name and you're in. You're good to go. Okay, well, if you're still skeptical, here is Jesus. Here is the Messiah that was attested and proven by God. He is not some prophet who is dead in the ground like David is, but he is from the Davidic line, just as it was prophesied. He is the Son of God, the true Son of God, and the one in whom the Lord made both Lord and Christ. He is the one whom you all crucified and the one in whom you're supposed to call upon. 
And now it brings us to today. Because after he has done all of that, after he has presented everything to them, what it says now in verse 37, after this big time bomb explosion of a statement, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus you crucified. Verse 37 says this, when they heard this, now all of a sudden we have ears and we're listening. Now all of a sudden that gospel in which he shared without shame, just like Paul tells us to do. In fact, Paul says to us in Romans that we share that gospel without shame because it has the power for righteousness and salvation. And even goes on further to say, first for the Jew and for the Greek. Here is Peter with this Jewish audience unashamedly sharing that gospel. And so their ears are perked because the very words that he is using have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Creator God, and they listen. And it says this. They were cut to the heart. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your journals, underline that. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Circle that. This question, brothers, what shall we do, is because they now realized and are beginning to realize, and I would say through the Holy Spirit internally working on their cut two hearts, they begin to realize that their people are responsible for the death of the attested and proved by God Messiah. And now they're afeared, and they want to know, okay, then what do we need to do? What do we need to do about this to make this right? And Peter says this, repent, circle, and be baptized, circle, every one of you. Or better translated, each one of you individually repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says. 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all apart who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It is for you, Israel first, and eventually for everyone far off, which could also be Israelites and Gentiles as we know. And then in verse 40, he says, Luke says, with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I love verse 40 because it means Peter is a man after my own heart as a pastor. He was supposed to land the plane and he didn't. It says here, so with many other words, so he just kept on preaching, even though it's this little short thing, Peter continued to, that's funny, everybody, that Peter as a pastor didn't know how to conclude his sermon. <laughs> there, now you got it. Just wait for it, it'll come. <clears throat> and he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then at the end, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about how many? 3,000 souls. So what, what's, what's happening here? 
So Peter isn't the closer. He's bringing in the Holy Spirit here now because the promise at the end is repent, be baptized, and receive that Holy Spirit. But right here after that big time bomb of a statement that, that, this, that God has made him both Lord and Christ whom you crucified, that the ears of them are perked up and it says they were, they were cut to the heart. That is such a rich, a rich callback to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30. I, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that Peter in his fisherman mind, which is so cool that he can have this great message and speak so eloquently and so richly and with such history and theology behind them. I just, obviously this is the work of the Holy Spirit working through Peter. That he calls back in old Deuteronomic law and things that are happening there in chapter 30. Because cut to the heart as I'm reading that, it means that they became intensely aware that, they, that there was a, a, a complete like shack, or, um, shades falling off of their eyes. Something internally has happened inside of them by hearing and receiving these words from Peter. If you were to go to Deuteronomy 30, which is on page 203 in your Bibles, listen to what is said here now to the Israelites after the idea of the Ten Commandments and after the, the instruction of if you break these Ten Commandments, you'll be cursed. If you keep them, you'll be blessed. Chapter 30 says this. And when all of these things come upon you, when? So as be assured this is going to happen. The blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you then call them to mind. You come to yourself. You remember among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and then return, repent to the Lord your God, you and your children, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Peter says to this group of people, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and that this promise is for you and your children and all the people far off in whom God calls. Deuteronomy 30 is saying, I will gather everyone back. When you repent, when you turn to me and remember me, I will do all of these things and restore all these things to you, both for you and your children and those far off. Verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Deuteronomy 36, the Lord will circumcise your heart not just boys and how circumcision is supposed to happen as a mark of the covenant of being in Israel's family. Here, God says, I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to cut your heart in such a way that you will receive these commandments. You will walk in my ways, and you will want to do those things. When Peter has them here gathered together and says to them, 
This Jesus, whom God has made both Lord and Christ, you have crucified, their ears prick up, and they were cut to the heart, and they now want to know, okay, how, how can we have this restoration? They have a great come-to-themselves moment, and then Peter gives them now the master class in repentance and says, this is what you do. You must repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and receive the full gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, meaning a complete 180 turn, not a repentance of go and sin no more. The word repentance here means to have a complete perspective and mind change, to begin to see now clearly something completely different than what you already knew. There is a repentance of the mind and heart first, and then comes the baptism where you then are cleansed from all of the sins that you have committed and asking for forgiveness. When John the Baptist was baptizing people in the wilderness, he was baptizing them so that they were prepared for when the Messiah came. Now the Messiah is here, and Peter says, this is the time. Understand who Jesus is and proclaim him as the Lord and Savior, as your Lord and Savior, as the attested and proven Messiah, be baptized and be cleansed, made new, and then receive the Holy Spirit in full. Now, we know the Holy Spirit has been working on them because Peter doesn't do the cutting on the heart. The Holy Spirit does. But after all that is done, they receive the Spirit in full, the full indwelling, and are now a part of this family this new ecclesia, this new community under this new covenant established by Jesus Christ, whom God has made both Lord and Christ of the world. I love how this message ends. And it gives us also a model for how we are to evangelize to the world, to, to go out into the world and, and, and live our lives to be questionable so that people would want to know what is this light we're giving off? What is this, the, these words that we're saying when we say, I'll, I'll pray for you and actually do it? What, is this, what does that mean? And when they come and ask, what does that mean? We, we just purely just share the gospel with them. Share the story of how I once was lost, lost in my sin, but by the grace of God was found through Jesus Christ. And this is how my life is completely different and hear their story, and weave in that gospel so that they can have the gospel make sense of their lost lives and maybe have their ears prick up and kind of hear the Lord calling to them, gripping their heart, cutting away at the pieces that would deny him. And then we just give the offer. You want to be a part of this? It's about repenting. It's about really seeing with your mind and your heart who Jesus is. It's about humility and being baptized, saying that I am a sinner and being cleansed from those and being made new by the water in which they were dunked and then receiving the Holy Spirit, the true gift, the true mark of someone who has confessed a belief in Christ. And that Holy Spirit now indwells in them and continues to teach them and convict them of all the ways in which Jesus would have them walk. If you go through the Old Testament, that is what God wants. You to keep my commandments and walk in my ways. 
You can't do it on your own. So I send my son Jesus to make that happen for you. This is the word of the Lord in which Peter has preached. Thanks be to God. And what I would say to you as a great challenge as you leave here today, go as people who have humbly received and repented and have the Holy Spirit. Go with people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to purely share the gospel without shame, without hindrance. I once was lost, but by grace of Christ I am now found. And listen to their stories and bring in the gospel where appropriate. And when the time is right, by the urging of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, give them the invitation. And know it's not on your shoulders that they accept. They may not accept, and that's okay. God may be sending in a whole other army of people. Listen, if the Lord wants you on his team and in his family, he will have it done. No matter how much you drag your feet. <laughs> if he has called you by name, it's going to be done. And so you may just be one person in a whole train of holy witnesses that is going to impart on that person. This is, this is evangelism. This is repentance. And this is the first lesson of the church. And what happens? 3,000 people come into the faith. That in itself is a miracle for church. Have you ever been on a committee of at least five or ten people and get them all to agree? Yeah, yeah, that's an act of Jesus right there. 3,000? 3,000 people to turn from one way and go to the next? Repent and receive the Holy Spirit. Share the gospel without shame. And invite others to do the same. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for Peter's words that are far more eloquent than anything that I or anyone else could put together. Words that cut to the heart. Words that get to the heart of the matter of, of the, the depths of our sinfulness and, and where, what it can do and what it's capable of. That it would actually turn a blind ear to the very words of God and, and be a part of crucifying his son. But thank you, Lord, that in his message that you empowered him to give, there is hope and that we cannot out your grace and love. That if you have called us by, by name and, and are chasing after us and calling us, Lord, that we would hear that, that our, our ears would, would prick up as people are just being mouthpieces and, and lighthouses and salt in the world, that they give off that aroma of Christ and, and we, we draw near and, and want to know and bow a knee there to be humble and accept and receive your love, your mercy, your grace. Lord, let us be that kind of church. Let us be that kind of church that trusts fully in the power of your Holy Spirit, that shares the gospel without shame and seizes the opportunities to offer the invitation to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.